You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Uh, good morning. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here of the village. Um, thanks for being here this morning. Super glad that you uh, decided to join us. We are in the middle of a series called uh, We Is He Are. Is that right, Liz? Good. I actually like that a lot better. Truly. It's like a meta thing going on, I think. Uh, he is, we are, we're talking about the attributes of God, uh, what he is like, and how we share uh, in some of those attributes, how he's made us in his image to be like him in some ways. And so today, uh, we're talking about just, the fact that God is just. So we'll talk about him being that way, justice, and I'm really glad that Michael's coaching on a day when this attribute is just like not controversial at all, right? Talking about justice and what that means and what that looks like. What an easy, short thing to discuss. So, um, man, uh, would you join me in prayer before we jump in this morning? Uh, God, thank you so much for your word um, that we get to not just guess about who you are and, and what you're like and about who we're supposed to be, but that you've laid that out for us um, so clearly in the scriptures. Um, God, I pray this morning that uh, by your Holy Spirit, you would allow some of us in this room to know who we are for the first time today, um, to know you for the first time, and, and to not just uh, be crushed under the weight of your justice, but to know that you put your justice to work for us, to come to our defense, um, and that in Christ we all can be made just and righteous this morning. Will we believe that this morning, whether for the first time or, or the thousandth time, and leave here encouraged and loving who you are and loving the fact that you are a good and just God. Uh, we pray these things uh, and ask that you would uh, give me wisdom and clarity this morning. Uh, may your word be heard uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so uh, I'm sure some of you have things that come to your mind when you think about justice or God being just. There might be pictures that come into your head. For me, uh, the picture that comes into my head, and I'm not making this up, uh, is a gas station, um, which I know sounds really weird. Uh, It's not the only picture that comes up, okay, but it's one of the pictures that comes up. Because if you go to the gas station, you know, we go there, most of us, on a somewhat regular basis. If you own a car and drive somewhere, uh, you pull up to the pump, and on the pump, there's usually a sticker, right? And I think here in Butler County, the sticker usually has uh, Roger Reynolds name on it, CPA, somewhere, and, and that sticker is on there certifying that it's been checked, it's been approved, that that gas station, uh, when it says it's giving you a gallon of gas, it's not giving you three quarters of a gallon of gas, right? It's not giving you 0.95 gallons of gas, but when, when it says on the thing that, that you're pumping a gallon of gas, it's actually giving you a gallon of gas, right? So there's a sticker on there that says it's, it's working as it sh- should, it's certified, it's legit, Right? And that's somebody's job is, is to do that. Uh, maybe it's Roger Reynolds, maybe it's someone that works for him, I don't know, but there's a whole department uh, in the state of Ohio under the Department of Ag- Agriculture called the Department of Weights and, and Measures. That's their, that's their job. One of them is to, to check gas stations and make sure that they're doing what they ought to do. And that makes me think of two things related to God's justice. One um, is, is just the extent and the fullness of his justice. That his justice isn't some like future thing, something that only happens down the road and it's really only concerned with these big, uh, big sins, but it's, it's concerned about stuff now, the, the little things today. 
Proverbs uh, 11.1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 16.11 says, A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. I think this will be on the screen. This is Leviticus 19.35-36. through 36. You shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length uh, or White weight or quantity, you shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hen. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's Leviticus 19, 35 through 36. So just measurements matter. The, the little stuff, all the stuff, gas stations, they matter because God cares about all of it. His original design was for a world that was perfectly just. Right? And that might be a church word. I don't know how often we use the word just in our daily uh, language, but you can think of it uh, as simply being what's fair or what's right. And it's actually related to a word we have in today's focal passage that we'll read and, and say a lot, and that's righteousness. In the Greek, they come from the same kind of family of word, and, and righteous means just simply doing right by others, doing justly. Righteousness is the state of doing right by others, or how well you are doing right by others. Wayne Grudem uh, defines God's righteousness this way. He says, God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right or just, and is himself the final standard of what is right or just. All right? So, so gas stations give me this picture of the fullness and the extent of, of God's justice and the small things today and the here and now, and it also is kind of a bit of an analogy for God and for us, because God made humanity, he made you and me to wear a sticker that, that bears his name on it, his, his image, and he made us to be a just weight, a just balance, a just scale, doing what's right by other people, by the people who are around us. Uh, and the work that he gave us is, is having dominion over the world so that the world would also be just and right, like, like we are and like he is. Not just in the future, right? Not some future reality, but here and now. Not, not merely in the big stuff, but in the small things as well. Well, we know that, that gas stations and gas pumps aren't immune to injustice, right? Because what happens when you see, a, uh, you probably hear news reports of skimmers, right, being put on, uh, on gas pumps. And when you swipe your credit card, someone else gets your credit card information, Right? injustice in that sense. You might have uh, price gouging, right? I, don't, I have no idea. Maybe you're the only gas station within like 50 miles, and so you can charge whatever you want for gas, right? And maybe that's not fair. Or uh, for real, like gas stations ask you like 18 questions before you get to actually pump your gas. I remember when you like just put in your card, took it out, and then you just got to, you, you picked what gas you want and put it in. That's it. And now it asks you if you're like you're a rewards member. You have to put in a pin for that. And then do you want a car wash? And do you want a receipt? And it's like, no, I don't want to remember this visit. I don't have any evidence that I've been here before, right? Just, it's unjust that we have to stand there in the cold for five minutes before we get to pump the gas. So, so look, people, uh, preach, there you go. Uh, I'll write a letter to Sunoco when I leave here. Um, People don't get what they deserve, right? When they show up to a gas station and it's, it's an unjust pump, right? They, they don't do right by their customers. And maybe the people pumping, they don't even notice. Like maybe they do at some point, but maybe they don't. They never know that they're getting ripped off. They might not have any awareness of that at all. But even scales, no matter whether or not the person knows it, if they're imbalanced ever so slightly, God says that that is an abomination. So Proverbs said, the same as, sexual sin, adultery, idolatry. 
It's pretty, a pretty weighty charge. And that's because all injustice is an affront to God's perfect justice. And we're the ones that run the gas stations, right? We're the ones that put the skimmers on the pump and, and do the office space like decimal over here to steal a fraction of a penny, right, from the people that are pumping gas. Gas stations aren't immune to injustice and, and neither are we. And so as we talk about God being just today, this particular attribute is relevant, not just because uh, we live in a day and age in which gotcha culture is a thing, cancel culture is a thing, social justice is a thing that comes up all the time, uh, where we just have to ask ourselves, what should we even think about justice? What does it even mean for us? Should we even uh, participate in trying to set things right in our community? But, but it also begs the question, what does a just God do with injustice when, when, when we are the ones who are unjust. As we ask and wait and hope for God to to set the world right, do we know what we're asking for if we're the ones that need to be set right? Here's the main idea for today. On on the cross, God put his justice to work for us so that we can work for his justice in the world. And we're going to talk about that in three ways, that God declares what's right, God does what's right, and God sets things right. So we're going to start with the first, God declares what's right. We're going to read uh, Romans three nineteen, just the first verse of our focal passage this morning. Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who were under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. How do we know that it's wrong for someone to, to tweak gas pumps, right? Just a little bit this way or a little bit that way, because God says so, right? God says so. We read the Proverbs, we read Leviticus. Uh, God has the right to decide that and to tell us because he is God. And, and this God, as we've learned so far in the series, he's holy, he's good, he's loving, right? And so that makes him the perfect and the only candidate uh, who should and can define what is just and right for the world. And, and he has defined that for us, and he has declared that to us in his law, right? In the scriptures that we have, and one of the reasons he's done that for us is so that, that every mouth might be stopped. Right, think of the divides that we have in our culture, in our country, maybe just in our city, maybe in your workplace. It uh, could be uh, political, Republican, Democratic. It could be the side of the city that you're from. What side of the river or tracks do you live on? Are you woke, right? Or on the other side, are you asleep? I don't know what the opposite of woke is, right? Like, whatever those things are. It, God wants the shouting matches, to stop. The, the demonizing, the, the virtue signaling, the hand ring, the, the angry tweets, he wants those things to stop so that every corner of humanity might stop trying to author and defend and impose its own version of justice that, that usually places itself in the right, right, and, and everyone else who disagrees in the wrong. Why? Because God has spoken. God had the first word, and he'll have the, the final word. And if the world only opened its mouth once more, it would be to give an account for the way it's done right or wrong by the Lord and by its neighbor, according to God's definition of what's right and just. No excuses, no arguing, You're not going to fight with the Lord on that day, no ifs, ands, or buts. The whole world held accountable to God. And so when, when followers of Jesus speak to, to matters of justice, we speak to let the world know that God has already spoken, right? When someone sabotages the gas station, uh, we get to speak up because God has already spoken. 
when we witness injustice firsthand or, or maybe from a distance. We get to speak up because God has already spoken. Just as God declares what's right, we, like him, declare what's right too. And the voice that's heard when we open our mouths, it, it should be God's voice, his words, his truth. Part of bearing God's image is bringing his voice to bear on the world around us. But here's the thing. Uh, but, but God says so may not get you very far in conversation today, right? Try that uh, by the water cooler next time you're talking to somebody. Oh, but God says, see how that goes. And oftentimes it, it's because it kind of sounds like a last resort that if you're a parent, right, or you were a child, like you've heard, well, because I said so, that's why you have to do it. It's why you have to go to bed, right? It's this like last resort line that we throw out as if we're just desperate and we just want the conversation to end. And, and honestly, when we use uh, because God says so, sometimes we do it with that same frustration, right? That same maybe divisiveness or just fatigue, right? That last resortness as, as a parent at their wits end. Saying this is right or this is wrong because God says so isn't uh, beloved or, or persuasive rhetoric today. In part, yes, because the world doesn't care what God thinks. The dark hates the light because the light exposes what's evil. It exposes its deeds. So the world isn't always going to like what the Lord has to say. But also, that happens in part because it's not always beloved or persuasive among Christians either. We're, we're not always the ones who are convinced by uh, its power or, or convinced of the relevance of the word of God and, and the world believes us when we act that way. So when it comes to matters of justice, which I'm sure you all have opinions on, right, things you feel strongly about, uh, is the word of God our last resort? Do you end conversations there? Or do you begin conversations there just to move somewhere else later? It's a springboard to something else. Or are you embarrassed by it? Are you embarrassed by what God says about what's good and what's right? Do you feel like you have to defend it? Or do you believe it's good? And do you love talking about that with other people? Consider uh, maybe an issue that you feel strongly about. Maybe it's abortion. Maybe it's health care. Maybe it's war. Maybe it's racism, trafficking, sexual assault. Homelessness, poverty, addiction, religious liberty. How did you arrive at what you believe about those things? Did, like careful study? Considering the full counsel of the word of God? Or is it because that, that's just what you've heard? Or that's what you've always thought? Or, or that's just what you've assumed being part of the church? Can you open up the Bible and demonstrate how you arrived there with more than just like a verse or two? And I'm, maybe I'm setting the bar too high, right? I'm not saying you have to be experts in everything, but look, like, our, our gut feelings, they can be an imprinted sense of justice, right? Because we are all image bearers of God. And yet, at the same time, we can't assume that those gut feelings are always right. And we can't delegate our thinking to. And the reason we can't do that, it's because it's the quickest way to our oldest sin, which is deciding for ourselves what's good and evil. And ironically, that happened when Adam and Eve delegated their thinking about what's right and what's wrong to someone else who, who happened to just demonstrate a, a passing familiarity with the word of God. Did, did God really say, fill in the blank? So in Genesis, we see Adam and Eve listening to, to someone who's crafty 
and wise. And, and even though he asks a question, they kind of push back once. Uh, they get the answer and like, oh, okay. They just assume it's right. They leave it unchecked. And so they let him lead them and the rest of humanity into sin, into, into evil. And 2019, we don't have just one voice, right? There are a plethora of other voices that surround us all the time, right? Social media, blogs, podcasts, memes, right? How many of you get your formation intellectually from memes that you see on Facebook or on Instagram, right? Uh, but look, when you give an account before God, your defense can't be, well, well so-and-so told me, Right? Or, I saw a meme one time, and it said this. Especially when you have a Bible in your purse. Or on your backpack. Or five of them on your shelf at home. Or 18 versions on your phone that you carry with you all the time. You will be held accountable for knowing the difference between what's just and unjust. What's right and what's wrong because of what God has said. In, in Acts 17, uh, we, we read about the Bereans, and they were considered noble because uh, even though Paul showed up and they were eager to hear the Apostle Paul uh, to, to receive what he had to say, everything he said, they examined the scriptures to see if what he said was true. The Apostle Paul, who's like doing miracles and, and saw Jesus and writing books of the Bible, they, they were testing to see if, does Paul really know what he's talking about? They examined the scriptures to see if that was true. Do you know what would happen if if we took the time to do that? We would be slower. We'd be slower to speak. Uh, We might not be able to hop on like trending topics or have the the hottest take right at the moment, but we would model for the world what it looks like to stop our mouths, to be quiet, to, to let God have the first and the final word so that when it's our turn, our voice sounds more prophetic than it does political. That God's heart and his will, his, his holiness, his goodness, his love, his justice is what rings the loudest in our speech. That when we say, well, well, God says, we're not flippantly playing it as a trump card to end or exit a conversation. But instead, his words are the reason that we confidently, humbly, lovingly enter and stay in tough and challenging conversations. Knowing the truth isn't at stake because it lives with God. It doesn't hinge on what my neighbor thinks. And when someone asks, did God really say? We can say, yeah. Or no. And show them with God's own words. Because he's already spoken and we've learned to love and be persuaded by him. And they might be too. But, but loving God's sense of justice is maybe another thing. And this is kind of the last point on this one point. Let's read Romans uh, three twenty through 24. Paul says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Daniel Defoe, uh, he's a, a, a writer, among other things. He once wrote that justice is always violent to the party offending, for each man is innocent in his own eyes. In other words, no guilty man ever loves justice. In fact, they think it's unfair 
I think it's violent. There's uh, death row inmates, and unless they're truly innocent, and some of them are, uh, they would be the last people to celebrate justice being served, right? right? No sane person would ever revel in their own death sentence. And, and what does God's law do when we declare it? It doesn't declare us righteous. Rather, it, it makes us conscious of our sin, our guilty verdict of our God-given death sentence. And so we need to know this, especially those of us in this room who are passionate about matters of justice in this world, as we declare what is right and what is wrong in a world that doesn't want to be wrong, the declaration of justice apart from Jesus is a message of condemnation. I'm going to say that again. The declaration of justice apart from Jesus is a message of condemnation. And as gospel people, as good news people, that should make our hair stand on end. It should make us a little squirmy. Because there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. What's just as tragic as a Christian not knowing what God says about right and wrong is a Christian knowing what he says about right and wrong and using that knowledge to produce the very kind of condemnation God has spared us from in Jesus. It's so easy to do the devil's work under the guise of truth-telling. And I'm guilty of that. The church isn't just another news source that, that wins by getting clicks, by calling out sin, by, by getting people canceled, right? It's a source of good news, but, but we can't produce a love for God, much less his justice by only handing out guilty verdicts. And, and the solution isn't, and, and this is really tempting for some of us, is to skirt sin or to skirt holiness, to not call out sin. Or, or to keep quiet on matters of justice in order to make ourselves feel more comfortable. Because that certainly doesn't make the victims of that injustice feel more comfortable. The solution is to root everything that we say in making known the righteousness of God in all things. His uprightness, his commitment to justice, and doing right by everybody, not just through the law, but through the person of Jesus that the law and the prophets point to. The, the one who followed the law for us on our behalf. Death row inmates already understand that they're not going to be declared righteous by the law. What's news to them, what's good news to them, is that they can be declared righteous in God's sight by Jesus' works of the law. Works that he worked for them as a substitute in their place. And and that they can be declared righteous by simply placing their faith in him. And so can we. That's our story too. It's in this free redemption that God's justice can be perfectly displayed, not merely and justly condemning a sinner, but by letting every last death row inmate delight in divine justice because they can know that God has put his justice to work for them, not against them. And as men and women who have fallen short of the glory of God, all of us here in this room, man, this is our story too. Do you love God's justice? Because it's at work for you. God has put it to work for you, to declare you righteous. So God declares what's right in us along with him, letting God's word speak through us and pointing the world not just to the law, but to Jesus who fulfilled it for them. On the cross, God is putting his justice to work for us so that we can work for his justice in the world. The second point is this, is that God does what's right. Um, this was, man, a month, maybe a, a couple months ago. Um, I, I go to True West like almost every day, probably. Uh, it's like my home away f- 
from home away from home. Uh, it's my second office. And uh, I, I pulled in one day, and there was only one spot left in the parking lot. So I, I pull in, and as I'm getting my bag out of the passenger uh, side of the car, um, I, I walk out, and um, I'm, I'm walking, squeezing between the car next to me, and I notice on the ground there's like a red reflector, uh, like pieces of it on the ground. And so I'm like, oh, that's weird. Look up, and surely enough, like the car next to me, like their red reflector on their bumper had been broken, like it was shattered. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm assuming that came from that. Uh, checked my car, right, to make sure I wasn't the one who like sideswiped it or whatever, and I was clear. My car is uh, filthy, um, and that's, it's, been a, it's, it's a good thing on that day that it was dirty because on the front, I could see, well, nope, it's still dirty. It didn't rub on anything, right? There's no clean patch on the front of my car. Uh, it's God's grace. Um, and so, but I took a picture. I took a picture just to make sure just to make sure that, like, I wasn't crazy, and if someone said something to me about it, it's not that funny, okay? Um, <laughs> Kelly. Uh, but, but so, like, I take a picture, I walk and get my coffee, I'm sitting on the porch uh, outside, um, and as I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, but for real, like, what if, what if someone thinks that I did that? Because, like, I'm the one that's parked there, someone's going to assume that was me, like, I'm the, I'm the most... Uh, possible suspect at that point, and so I start making a Google Keep note of, like, the time that I arrived, and uh, people I saw going in and out, and I attach the photo to the note, and I'm just, like, take, for 90 minutes, like, I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, just distracted, because I'm trying to build this defense and build this case against some hypothetical people that I don't know, right? I don't know, uh, and so I'm sitting there, and just wasting time, because ultimately, I don't believe, right, that, that what that family or what the police officer or whatever the claims that I, I don't believe they're going to do what's right right I, I don't believe that they're going to be what's not maliciously but they just don't know me right they weren't there they didn't see it and so that's how some of us live not not just that way because of car accidents but but fear and, and taking up our own defense because we don't 100 percent trust that god is doing the right thing or that he's going to do the right thing and for some of you like, I get it. I get it. Because your, your life, whether in the past or now or both, marked by tragedy and injustice, you've been hurt. Maybe you just live in uncertainty right now about some things. And I've said this to probably 20 people in the last three weeks, that uncertainty is its own kind of trouble, its own kind of suffering. When, when we or those that we love suffer wrongly, um, we can call into question whether God is, is right, whether he is just. And, and I'm not here to slap anybody on the wrist for that. Y- your questions and your doubts and those things are welcome, and I, I can confidently welcome those things because God himself acknowledges that his own actions have opened himself up to criticism in the way that he's chosen to deal with sin and evil in the world. Let's read Romans three twenty three through 26. Backtracking a couple verses, but we'll finish the passage. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a a, a wrath, atoning sacrifice for our sin by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, God knows that his mercy might seem to cancel out his justice, his commitment to doing what's right, because how can he be right if he passes over 
what's wrong? How can God be just when not only does injustice still exist, but it still exists because he's seemingly looking the other way, or, or maybe even forgiving it? Clearly this question isn't new, right? It's, it's written down thousands of years ago. And, and since Adam and Eve, God has shown mercy to sinners. This is the story of the Old Testament, right? That there is not this uh, fantastical, mythical, angry God of the Old Testament. He does execute justice, right? But, but the Old Testament is chock full of mercy and grace towards his people. In Exodus 34, uh, 6 through 7, um, we, we read this. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Those things seem impossible to fit together. How how can you forgive sin? How can you forgive transgression and iniquity and yet at the same time by no means clear the guilty? Figure that out for me, apologists in the room. How does that work? And yet, that's his nature. That's his own self-description of who he is. And it's why series like this matter. Talking about the different attributes of God and trying to hold them all in tension together. You don't have to spend your day stockpiling evidence, making Google Keep notes or making an, an airtight defense for yourself or for God in the hopes that one day you can rest your case in the court of public opinion, right, or the trial that's happening here inside of you, in your heart or in your head. The, the trial that's trying to answer the question, but, but is God really just? Because God has demonstrated his righteousness already, his commitment to justice on the cross of Christ. It's not you who comes to your defense or his defense. He comes to your defense and he defends his own name. He gave the law in your defense. He doesn't want to see us hurt or sinned against or oppressed. So he gives us the law and says, don't do this because I love you. He wants to protect us. He deals justice according to the law in your defense. He won't stand to see us hurt. He will deal justice fairly and appropriately because, again, he loves us and he receives his own justice to fulfill the law in your defense. When we are the ones, right, that are being prosecuted, he seeks to redeem us from our own sin. The cross is God's perfect demonstration of his commitment to doing what's right, to to justice that works for us in every way because the cross isn't only where his justice and his mercy meet, but it's where his mercy is made just. Because of the cross, he's just to forgive you. He can be just and also the justifier of you and of all the people that you don't want to forgive. (laughs) people who've, who've hurt you and people that you've hurt. And I want this to be heard as good news, even though it might not be easy or clear, but good, that God has done and he will do no wrong by anyone in this room. He would be just to not only let those who have hurt us bear the weight of their sin and to let us bear the weight of ours. He's obligated to do no more than that. The only charge that we can lay at the feet of God is that he's been too kind to us. But even that charge is thrown out by the cross of Christ. 
we get to rest our case, knowing that the injustices of humanity will be paid for, either already on the cross by Jesus or one day under the judgment of Jesus under the last day. And, and, and on that last day, every last offense will be paid for. Both verdicts of guilty and not guilty will be rendered, and they will be rendered loudly, and they will be rendered justly and fairly. But even that's not the, the full picture, because in Matthew 25, when Jesus is describing that judgment, when he talks about the, the not guilty inheriting the kingdom prepared for them, he also talks about the guilty, right, departing to eternal fire. And he makes it clear that hell, that, that eternal fire wasn't meant for them. It wasn't meant for them, and it wasn't meant for us. It was prepared, he said, for the devil and his angels. I don't know if you've ever seen Zootopia. It's a weird transition, I'm sorry. That was a hard shift. I didn't realize that when I was writing that. Um, it comes back. Uh, sorry. Um, spoiler warning. So, like, this happens in a lot of movies. You, like, the movie sets you up to think that one particular guy is the bad guy, right? Zootopia, it's like the big lion mayor that you think is, like, the bad guy. They set you up to think that way. But all along, you find out it's the, if you don't want to know, just do this. Um, it's the little unassuming sheep, like, the entire time. And that happens in movies all the time. You're like, what? That came out of nowhere. I had no idea, but then it makes sense in the end. When it comes to injustice, especially personal ones that affect us, we often leave our real enemy, the devil and his angels, we we leave them out of the picture. We don't think about them. We think they're impotent. We we, we treat them as forgotten side characters, even though they ought to be front and center, which leaves only a few of us at the table, leaves us and God and, and other people. And so when we don't have the devil and his angels in our minds, what happens is that sometimes we target the wrong things, with very real anger and very real blame and discontentment. And so we target God and we question his sovereignty and his goodness and his justice and his love and we target other people. We condemn them and demonize them even though we're, we know we're not supposed to do that and, and, and we target ourselves. We, we foster self-loathing. We hate ourselves. We carry shame. All the while, Satan and his demons, they get off scot-free, delighting in the fact that we're busy pointing fingers at each other. Our spiritual enemies are real, and they are, Paul says in Ephesians 6, our true enemies. Not each other, not flesh and blood, not the Lord. And and humanity, yes, including us, we've contributed to the brokenness of the world, but before there was Adam and Eve, before there was you, there was an enemy. There were rebel angels. There was a serpent in a garden who wanted nothing more than to disrupt the justice and the righteousness of the world that God was creating. And he did that. He did that. He, He got Adam and Eve to be ashamed of themselves. He, he got them to pass blame and to point fingers at each other. He got them to hide from a God they believed was out to get them. And he got all of us in the room to do that too. But on this side of the cross, we get to let Jesus own our guilt and our shame. And we get to let the devil and his angels own theirs as well. We get to let Jesus reconcile us to God. And, and we get to await the day when God will bind up and cast out the devil and his angels for good. Because they are the first source of all that's wrong in the world. And while our enemies are still prowling around like a lion, as Peter says, they know they've already lost the war. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, not only was the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands canceled and set aside, so Paul says in Colossians 2, but the spiritual rulers and authorities were put to open shame and triumphed over on the cross. Our enemies have lost the war. They're just biding their time until the day they get their due. And so I want you to know that if, if you carry with you this confusing, pent-up, undealt-with sense of, of righteous anger, if you feel like there's blame for injustice that's 
hanging out there and it doesn't have a healthy place to land. First of all, you're not crazy. All right? We, like God, get to be angry about those things and want justice to be served. And, and secondly, know that maybe that's hanging out there because maybe you've not identified the real enemy yet. Bless you. And you've not let those things land on them where they rightly belong. We can't make that day come any faster, the day that they're going to get kicked out, but, but you can certainly be mindful in the meantime of, of their schemes and let sin and Satan and evil be the brunt of your blame. Don't let them off the hook as the unassuming side character in the story. Man, all that to try and communicate that God is, is just and he does what is just. He does what's right. He'll, he'll do right by you and by the world. And God is our defense against both the injustice of the enemy and the justice of his law. Right? If we trust that Jesus is our greatest and only defense in this life. And because on the cross, God put his justice to work for us, we can work for his justice in the world, not just by declaring what's right, but by doing what's right as well. And, and look, that sounds maybe simple. Do what's right, don't do what's wrong. That's the application for today. Be blessed, right? <laughs> but it's a little more than that. It, doing right doesn't only mean don't swindle people at the gas station. It's not just what it means. Don't swindle people at the gas station, okay? It means treat everyone at the gas station like fellow image bearers. Not just the attendant or the person on the other side of the pump. Right? But the guy that comes up to you asking for change that you assume is out to swindle you. Or the guy that needs a ride. Or the mom who's stressed and yelling at her kids. Or the young guy that needs a jump right, in his car. Doing what's right doesn't simply mean doing what you have to do to avoid being wrong. Doing what's right doesn't simply mean doing what you have to do to avoid being wrong. Doing right by someone isn't ultimately centered around you at all. It's centered around the other person around them. It's about giving someone what they're due because of who they are, not because of what you've done or not done or what they've done or not done. And God, who literally owes us nothing, demonstrated this perfectly by making our problem his problem and by setting things right for us, all while making sure that every debt was paid. And this is the last point, that, that God sets things right. So uh, the last 10 years, the city of Hamilton has like had a, had a boom. Right, it's had a bit of a renaissance or whatever. I grew up here, uh, and so, man, I've seen the lowest point, minus probably that flood in 1913. I imagine that was probably the worst, but um, I'm just guessing. I've seen the old photographs. Uh, but, man, I grew up in a time that it was popular to have a bumper sticker on your car that said, Hamilton, that city that offers you nothing, right? That's a real thing. People don't believe me that aren't from, that's a real thing. They still exist. John, take it off your car. Um, <laughs> My kids get to grow up in a totally different Hamilton than, than I had growing up as a kid. I'm grateful for that in many ways. And at the same time, it's not good for everybody. There's a target demographic for growth in this city, right? Especially downtown Main Street area where a lot of the work is happening. And it doesn't include many of the people who have called that part of town and the neighborhoods surrounding that home for years, and, and maybe for generations. And, and so while the city seems to be setting things right on many fronts, it's driving some of its very own people away. And, and it's been made clear um, 
personal interactions with me and others, that that's not by accident. At best, it's an unfortunate but necessary side effect of what they're doing, and, and it's at worst by design. And you know what? I get it. I get it. I really do. I, I love my city, right? It's not going to be this utopia for everybody, but at the same time, it, it doesn't change my perspective and the tension that I feel between those two things. It doesn't change what I think a city ought to be or do because the vision of a city that God's given us in Revelation is one that's not beautiful because of its bottom line or its storefronts or its amenities, but because of who is there. God and his people. People from every walk of life. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Folks that, that manage cities and folks that, that were driven out of them. And, and every single one of them redeemed by Jesus from sin. That's the kingdom that we get to inherit one day. The, the one prepared for us by God from, from before the foundation of the world. And that's founded on justice. It, it's easy for us to think about God's justice burning cities to the ground. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like, it's all going to burn. Like, that's what ju- God's justice is. Just wiping out everything that's evil uh, and wicked. This retributive justice, punishing wrongs. We don't often think about God's justice building cities or rebuilding cities or communities, but it does, especially when we define our cities by the people who live there and not the buildings that they live in. Because God's justice isn't only retributive, it's restorative. It, It makes whole. It adds to. It builds people up. In fact, restorative justice is the kind of justice that in the Old Testament, that angry God part of the Bible, uh, nine times out of ten, that's what it's talking about. Doing right by widows, by the poor, by orphans, by sojourners. And both of those facets of doing justice are rooted in in doing right by people based on who they are. Right? An example. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Murder's wrong because people were made in God's image. Deuteronomy 10, 18-19. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. He roots it to our identity as sojourners. Murdering someone isn't wrong simply because, cut it off there, isn't wrong simply because of the act itself. It's wrong because of who suffers the injustice. Someone made in God's own image. Loving, feeding, and clothing someone isn't right because of the acts themselves. Those things are right because of who's in need. Someone sojourning this world just like us. Humanity shares a divine right from one another to to dignity and a dependence on divine grace for everything that we need. And, And it's these two common unities that ought to spur us to not just pursue what's right in our private lives, not just personal piety, right, but to pursue what's right for the people in our communities, to set things right. What does that look for? Or what does that look like for you where you live? What does that look like? Jen Wilkin in her book In His Image talking about God being just says the immediate effect of apprehending God's justice will be an inward facing desire to obey. Am I doing what's right? Just in me. Am I doing the right thing? The long term effect will be an outward facing desire to do justice for others. It's where it starts. And you don't abandon the first, but it it stretches out into wanting to do justice for other people. And hear me, this isn't some social justice, all right, that seeks solutions purely in and for and from this present world. God's justice is cosmic. 
It is cosmic, and it is supernatural, and yet it thrives tangibly in the present wherever his word and his spirit are among his people, and it takes aim at injustice in all of its forms, not because it minimizes sin, but because it maximizes it. It hates sin committed against God and against those who bear his image, and the cross is our proof of that, right? If we take sin seriously and if we take love seriously, then we'll take injustice in all of its forms seriously. We'll make other people's problems our problems. Because God made our problems his problems. And just like it called into question his justice and his righteousness by working for the good of sinners, which makes no sense, claiming to be just while justifying people who aren't, which makes no sense, people are going to call into question ours as well. Because the grace and the truth of the gospel is confusing to a world trying to figure out justice on its own. God's justice doesn't jive with cancel culture of the day, right? Because Jesus' ultimate desire isn't to cancel people, but to redeem them. It it seeks to uncover cover-ups, even from within its bride, the church, because the whole world is held accountable to God. It doesn't feed off of outrage because the very nature and character of God himself is what fuels God's passion and our passion for justice and so on and so forth because the justice of the Lord stands alone as better to build better cities with, with better gas stations because it builds a better people. It, it redeems them. It protects them. It restores them so they might work the way that they were originally intended to work. Just weights and measures just scales, and to make a just world the way it was originally intended to be. On the cross, God put his justice to work for us so that we can work for his justice in the world. And because of that, we get to join God in declaring what's right, in doing what's right, and in setting things right as we wait to receive the perfect city, to to inherit the future kingdom that will finally be fully just. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that we wouldn't take your justice flippantly. That what you call evil, we would call evil. Um, that you, what you call good and just and right, we would call those things just and right and good too. And that we would look to you and that we would be reminded of your holiness and your love and your goodness and today your justice and that we would feel small in comparison to you, and yet we would feel so much love because someone so big loves someone so small as us and put your perfect, big, cosmic justice to work for people as little as we are. I pray that we would be a people who see others as your image bearers, God, that you would help us to to change the way that we see the world around us, not according to what we hear or what we think or what we assume, God, but by what you've said that your righteousness would inform us not just by the law, but by Jesus, and that we would be willing to be a church who would have its integrity called into question because we're so radical in grace, and yet we're so committed to your law as well and what's good and what's right. Help us to walk in that tension as a church, as individual disciples who, who gather and who scatter into our neighborhoods. And we pray and ask for your wisdom and guidance and grace this morning as we do that. We thank you so much, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.